welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 13. That's right. We have a text today about the firstborn, or is it? And then also the narrative of the actual Exodus continues. So very exciting. I'm going to jump in. Scroll of Shemoth, chapter 13. Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Set apart for me all your chosen, all that opens the womb, and the sons of Israel, and humanity and silent animals. He is for me. Moshe said to the people, Remember this day that you departed from Mitzrayim, from the house of servitude, for by strength of hand Yahweh brought you from this. Nothing sour shall be eaten. On this day you are departing, in the month of Aviv, green tenderness. It will be when Yahweh brings you to the land of the Kana'ani, and Chiti, and the Emori, and the Chivi, and the Yuvusi, that he swore to give to your fathers, a land gushing with milk and honey. You will serve this service in this month. Seven days you will eat of matzah, in the seventh day of the celebration for Yahweh. Matzah will be eaten for seven days. Nothing sour will be seen for you, nor shall leaven be seen in all your borders. You shall declare to your son in that day, saying, In this crossing over, Yahweh did this for me. When I departed from Mitzrayim, it will be a sign upon your hand, a remembrance between your eyes, in order that the teaching of Yahweh will be in your mouth. For in a strong hand, Yahweh has brought you from Mitzrayim. You will guard this carved statute in its appointed time from year to year. It will be when Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaani, as he swore to you and to your fathers, he will give her to you. You will cause every firstborn of the womb to serve for Yahweh, every firstborn an offering of a silent animal that is for you. The males are to Yahweh. Every firstborn donkey you will ransom with a small pack animal. If not, you will ransom it. You will break its neck. All the chosen of humanity and your sons you will ransom. It will be when your son asks you tomorrow, saying, What is this? You will say to him, In strength of hand, Yahweh brought us from Mitzrayim, from the house of servitude. It was when Pedal was hardened about sending us, Yahweh killed all the chosen in the land of Mitzrayim. From the chosen of humanity and to the chosen of the silent animal, upon this I slaughter for Yahweh. Every firstborn of the womb, the males, all the chosen of my sons, I ransom. It will be a sign upon your hand and bands between your eyes, for in strength of hand Yahweh brought us from Mitzrayim. It was when Pero had sent out the people, Elohim did not guide them by the path of the land of the Pelishtim, refugees, for it was near. For Elohim said, lest the people be guided when they see war and return to Mitzrayim. Elohim led the people around by the path of the desert of the Sea of Reeds. The sons of Israel ascended, arrayed from the land of Mitzrayim. Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him, for swearing he had sworn the sons of Israel, saying, Visiting Elohim will visit you. You will cause my bones to ascend from here with you. They pulled up their tent pegs and journeyed from Sukkot, huts. They camped in Etam with them and the boundary line of the desert. Yahweh walked before their faces by day in a pillar of cloud to guide the path, by night a pillar of fire to light them to walk, by day and by night. He did not remove the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night before the face of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I've divided this chapter into two sections, uh, kind of based on the 
uh, way that the structure of the chapter is broken up. Right. We've got a legal section up front, and then we've got the actual narrative of the Exodus right. continued um, in the second portion. Right. So we're going to jump into part one, which is verses one through 16. And it opens with Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, set apart for me all your chosen, all that opens the womb in the sons of Israel and humanity and silent animals. He right. is for me. Yes. Um, so a couple of things there. One is right at the beginning of verse two, we have this uh, phrase set apart, which right. not a new phrase. I always find it fascinating to see the way that we work around this language, KJV uses consecrate, mm-hmm. right? And so we kind of build this, uh, you know, uh, Layers. more official, maybe religious okay. context around the word, right? Right. Uh, you're going to consecrate the, the firstborn, the chosen. But, uh, you know, I always think it's interesting to see the language toned down to just set apart. Mm. One, because... Uh, set apart helps me imagine what consecrate means a little better, mm-hmm. right? Um, because consecrate is kind of a, I don't know, I feel like it's a vague term. Right, Christianese, who knows what it really means. Right. Right, if I was going to add anything to the simple version of set apart, it would be for a special purpose. Um, and the reason for that is most of the time that we see um, Kadesh used as a verb it's in the priestly sections of Torah where they're describing, like, make the instruments of the tabernacle holy right. for usage. Right. Um, and so just like you would take your lamp that you're going to use in the tabernacle and you have to um, set it apart for a special purpose, um, holy it so that it can be in the tabernacle. He's also saying holy. Right. Which is, which is the other thing, is that we'll see that translated in a number of different ways, right? We'll see consecrated, we'll see holy, we'll see right. um, purified, right. uh, appointed, dedicated, hallowed, right? Uh, prepared. Right. Um, and all of those, you know, maybe they're adding in some context to yeah. set apart to I be more like specific. I feel like it's just obscuring what's going on, not right. because they're necessarily like maliciously trying to make things hard for people but it does functionally blur the the word and makes it harder to keep track of blurred its usage. yes throwback to a sketchier era okay um yeah so set apart for a special purpose all your chosen we've talked before about how bechor does not mean firstborn despite the colloquial translation that way it means to choose like i could go to a restaurant in israel and they would ask me what would you like what would you like to choose um hmm. and obviously that doesn't have anything to do with children right <laughs> it's just or like, birthright right it's just what would you like to choose to to eat um and so that's still the we kind of presume sometimes rightly and occasionally not that chosen is has to do with primogeniture and that's partially i think because of our mythology and probably also some of the stories in tanakh right but anyway that's not what the word actually means but here god does make it very clear all your chosen comma all that opens the womb so that seems like it actually means firstborn right um unlike you know 
pick the person in the family who you're going to invest your authority and prestige and calling as in this patriarchal system. And instead, um, God here says all that opens the womb, which by the way is not gendered, um, which we've talked about before. Um, you might immediate or one might, I know you George wouldn't, but, um, the line that would, um, you know, uh, bring that into tension would be that he is for me. Right. But in Hebrew, there is no singular um, pronoun that's neuter, that's neither masculine nor feminine. And so it always defers to he. Sure. So it's kind of like the bad habit that I have of walking around and saying, hey, guys. <laughs> right. Right. Despite the gender of the group. Right. I don't mind guys at all. To me, that's gender neutral, but that, that differs by uh, subculture, I think. Right. But um, that extends a little bit broader than that. Like um, when they're talking to Rivka in Genesis, um, the text refers to her as a Na'ar, which is a young man, um, because... It's a little bit weird. Um, I'm not of a conspiracy theory that Rivka is a young man, but um, it's a more that masculine is neutral in, in Hebrew. Right. And so he's explicit that God says every individual that opens the womb um, of the line of Yisrael in humanity and in silent animals. And then when we get down to Moshe. Right. Verse 12 and 13. Right. Then he like very specifically adds in the males. Zacharim. Right. Um, and that's not what God says. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. And the other thing that's interesting, interesting about that to me is, well, there's, there's two things that are interesting. One is that, you know, you're talking about that shift between the Bechor and the way that that was traditionally done and the way that God is calling the people of Israel to do that, hmm. right? Uh, there's a shift there, right? right? Because like you said, the Bechor could be anyone in the family that mm-hmm. you've chosen to secede you. Right. But in this system that God is laying out, it's your firstborn. doesn't right. matter if you like them or not. Right. Uh, if they're good at what they do or if they're not as talented as the rest of your kids, that's the one that I want. Yeah. And I'm going to use that person, right? Because they're being dedicated, well, using other terminology again, right? They're right. being dedicated mm-hmm. to the service of God. Right. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's probably, I mean, I could be totally projecting onto God here, but I think that that has to do with um, healthy family dynamics, because if it is primogeniture, then there's no like battling it out between the siblings, you know, HBO succession style about who's going to take over right. and everybody's posturing and being performative um, for the patriarch. Instead, it's just like, this is what you're born with. And then, of course, all through um, Tanakh, we see stories about sons who are not the firstborn and yet God has chosen them. Um, which makes more sense to me uh, in this context. Yeah. Later in the book of Numbers, um, it'll say nearly the same thing, which, by the way, uh, the KJV um, uh, renders womb or uterus or whatever. It renders it matrix, which is just fantastic. Yes, I did run across that. (laughs) Everything that opens the matrix in all flesh. So Keanu Reeves needs to be uh, dedicated to God. Because he opened the matrix. Um, uh, But it says more about how to redeem. So here in this section, it's just like, you know, you're going to redeem 
the firstborn of, of humans. And Numbers 18, 15, and 16 tells you how that happens. It, you take redemption money, um, which, by the way, if you're not a Levite, is five shekels, which hmm. is funny because that's like the price of an espresso um, today in right. the modern Israeli <laughs> economy. Um but I presume maybe that was more than um, other interesting little details, at least interesting to me, about halakha, about um, modern Talmudic legal renderings of this passage uh, include, in case you're curious, um, you don't redeem the firstborn if uh, it was a cesarean because okay. they didn't open the womb. Um, and then also if there was a miscarriage, that was the firstborn um, and then there's a whole separate thing if your, um, your family line is a priestly line. So mm, interesting. in combination with, um, the modern Jewish community, not consecrating girls, um, the ceremony is fairly rare, right? Between all of those factors. Um, cause that's four instances that it doesn't count. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, all of that side stuff, as, as always, God loops in the animals, um, which I think is just always fascinating that the, if the concept of Bukhor has to do with like family line and legacy and calling that God transmutes that onto animals as well as people. Um, it's just right. super interesting to me. Um, and you can make the argument that it's really about sacrifices or whatever, but God doesn't say that like it's a gift for me or anything. Um, he just says that, um, you need to redeem them, ransom them. Okay. And then we also have interspliced with this, uh, the seven days of matzah with nothing sour being eaten and no leaven in all your borders. Yeah. I th- you know, I was looking at that at the, thought there were some interesting things in there in that we have three different words we're working with here, right? We have matzah. Right. We have nothing sour. And then we have the leaven word. Right. Right. And when we tend to translate that, we kind of tend to blur all those together, right? Uh It's going to be leavened or unleavened bread. And that's what you get. But also, we're usually not paying that much attention because we don't celebrate this holiday, most of us. And so we're going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> um, cool, 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 cool. But, <clears throat> but I was curious about the broader context of, you know, not just bread, but nothing sour will be seen. Um, and mm-hmm. nothing shall leaven be seen in all your borders. And that's two different two different categories, right? Nothing sour and nothing leaven. Right. Yeah, and I mean, my my theory on that still has to do with um, alcohol. Um, the word okay. the word for sour and unleavened um, can be relatively interchangeable, but we do have different words words in here. Okay. Um, there is a maybe spe- it was about cheese. Cheese. <laughs> Since we're talking about delectables here. Oh, indeed. Um, I mean, yes, you could technically call cheese chametz by its original meaning. Originally, it means to be pungent in general. So often that's fermented, often that's soured. Um, uh, But it can be used about people, too. Um, and obviously that's not a leavened person. That's a pungent person. Uh Uh-huh. Cheesy. (laughs) Yeah. 
and so, yeah, you could use it about that. But again, so I think the point, there's a larger point there that God is making about what kind of character he wants them to walk out with. Um, for them, pungency doesn't have to do with smelliness so much as um, in that context, it, the verse looks like it's talking about cruelty. Mm. Um, if you read the um, Psalms, sometimes it's translated in Psalm 71, they'll go with ruthless, cruel, embittered are different words that are used when okay. it's applied to um, people. Some other spots do, but um, anyway, so I think that's the larger picture. That's the larger point. You know, um, there are really cool, beautiful Jewish teachings about like why you can't have leaven in your house and all sorts of big metaphors um, that are totally valid and should be at the table of conversation about what's happening in this section. But etymologically, I'm interested in the one that has to do with the, the actual word, right? And so I think he's... Um, that God's inviting them, commanding them to leave without bitterness, without sourness, mm. without things that are bubbling and fermenting within them about like, I don't know about all this. Right. <laughs> it's like for freedom, you have been set free, right? Galatians 6. Um, and I think that's what the invitation is about. Mm. I like that, you know, and especially when we start to look ahead at the experiences that they're going to have in the desert. Right. Also seem to parallel that narrative. Absolutely. Right? You're going to leave behind your bitterness. You're going to leave behind your resentment, right? Um, Right. Please, let's start out this journey in a good place. Uh, Right, right. um, Rather than, you know, starting off not not fantastic. Matzah, by the way, um, has to do with um, drawing something delicious out, um, something sweet and pleasant out. and uh, that comes up in Isaiah sixty six eleven, which is not a uh, PG uh, verse, and so I won't read it, but you can go do that in your free time. And so Matzah, I think he's inviting them, not necessarily in that context, um, but to eat what is good and sweet and luxurious um, that requires effort. Yeah. To, to eat right, right. Um, which has not been my experience of matzah but I know lots of people who make fun things with their matzah during um, that hug that festival so um, you know the modern one might just not be as as good who knows <laughs> that I'm getting from the grocery store maybe if I made it myself okay um, anything else from our unleavened bread conversation or matzah conversation Nope. I want to jump down to verse nine. Okay. Uh, which is, it will be a sign upon your hand, a, remem- a remembrance between your eyes, in order that the teaching of Yahweh will be in your mouth. For in the strong hand, uh, Yahweh has brought you from Mitzrayim. Yep. So first off, I wanted to note, you know, Rashi says, this is the reason that we write these pa- passages and stick them on our heads and on our arms. Right. Right. So it's always fun to find the, I think, narrative textual context behind some of the traditions that we might be familiar with. We might be familiar familiar with, but also that we might think are a little bit silly because we don't understand the context. I presume you're not um, calling the Jewish custom of Tefillin silly. No, I'm saying that we might perceive it that way because we don't understand the context because we're ignorant of why they do that okay. right and it's because it comes from the text here right and it's because right. they take that seriously 
Right. Uh, and they take the calling that God has placed on them seriously, that they do those things. And I feel like we we gloss over that so often. Or, right. And are, you know, we just uh, don't have the, we don't give it the time of day to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. We just pass it off. Right. Everybody else is weird. In fact, like, uh, that's so often the posture. That's not what me, L is saying. Um Protestants are oddly some, some heavy clarifications going on. Yes, here. yes. Protestants seem to be allergic to anything that requires a material component. Right. You know, like right. prayer rug, wrong. Altar, wrong. You know, kneeling to pray, wrong. Incense. Sounds orthodox to me. Church building, okay. Yeah, prayer beads, wrong. You know, any kind of thing, no matter whether it's like super biblical, like incenses, or not particularly biblical, but still helpful for lots of people to stay concentrated, like prayer beads, um, where we're strangely like uncomfortable with that. Um, right. I think that has to do with Protestant propaganda over time against Catholics and um, Orthodox community, but... I digress, but yes, yeah, so we tend to apply that to everybody. Um, who knows Yeah. why? But yeah, um, I mean, what I love about this sign upon your hand thing um, is that despite the usage of Tefillin now, which tends to be in the most of the Jewish community, conservative and, and um, Orthodox, and the Charaim, um, that's gender inclusive. The other, this right. is the word ot, um, and circumcision is an ot, and there tends to be that awkwardness in like the sign of the covenant that we take with us. Circumcision only applies to men, right? Um, thankfully. And so where are women in the covenant, right? Well, in all the places that we have the word ot or sign. So here, having the teaching of Adonai in your mouth is also a sign, right? Or if you're mm. actually doing tefillin because you're part of that community, then um, that is also a sign that you are part of God's people who he, whom he delivered. Yeah. I like... I like the way you translated that portion in verse 9 in order that the teaching of Yahweh will be in your mouth uh, because we usually see that in order that the law of Yahweh will be in your <laughs> mouth. And the reason I like that distinction is that teaching is relational hmm. mm -hmm. and laws are not. Right. Uh, laws are about the punishment that happens when you do things wrong. Right. Teaching is about teaching, right? It's instruction. It's relational. It's about building each other up, right? Yes. They're very, they're very different in those distinctions. Yes. Um, and so I like, I like bringing that in. Absolutely. I like having that here, the way that God is, is seeking these people, right? And wants to teach them, not impose law on them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was reading, um, this is totally off topic, but that's okay. It's not off topic, it's just outside of Exodus. I was reading um, in the interlinear, in the Greek, Ephesians 4.11, which lists supposedly the five different kinds of leaders that God's giving the church, the apostles, okay. the evangelists, yeah. etc. And I've always read in the English that it's um, teachers, comma, shepherds, pastors, right? I might be flipping that around. Um, I think it's pastors, comma, teachers. But 
Um, in the Greek, when you look at it, it says some apostles, some evangelists, some, and then, yeah. And then you get to the last one and it just says pastors and teachers, which seems like, unless he just glued the last one to the very end as an addendum for some reason to call attention to it, whatever other literary tropes that I'm not as familiar with because Greek is not my jam. It seems like pastor and teacher might be something that's supposed to go together, which to me goes with what you're just talking about, that teachings aren't supposed to be like in the context of someone random dropping in on high and being like, actually, you're doing it wrong and then leaving. Like if you are teaching the word of God to people, you know, um, there is a relational component to that. Um, and the awareness of that is critical and God here is seems to be aware. And maybe there's something to that in the context specifically here of leaving Egypt. Oh, uh-huh. right, where the law and the obedience was right. primary every second of every day of their lives. Mm, right? Mm-hmm. You are slaves, you're gonna do what you are told. Right. It's not relational. Right. We don't care how you feel. We right. don't care if you like it or not. This is yeah. what's happening. The facts don't care about your feelings. Is right. Why right. Um, Make your breaks. Get over right. it. Right. And Snowflakes. again, teaching is not primarily about obedience. Right. Right. It's about other things. Yeah. In Hebrew, the picture is a flowing stream. So in a good teaching, you... It's like the portion of water that you're ready for at that time leads to the next one, which leads to the next one, which leads to the next one. And water is life-giving, right? Right. So it's not one of the words for teaching that involves smacking people. Okay. Um, In order that the teaching of Yahweh will be in your mouth, for he hath delivered you, and etc. Okay. Um, then we have the section really bopping back and forth here. I presume there's some kind of interesting structure, probably a chiastic structure. I do think it's chiastic. Maybe bigger than chapter 13. Um, chapter 12 might be looped in there too, because we have these kind of odd interpolations of bopping back and forth between topics. That's just doc hypo. (laughs) Right. Right, absolutely, totally. Uh, because then we go back to talking about donkeys and what to do if you don't um, ransom it and just reminding you you need to ransom all your chosen, which is interesting, switch from Kadesh to ransom or redeem. Right. There, yeah, so looking at verse 12 and 13, which are in kind of that middle section, if we do think this is a chiasm, I think this is what the middle of that is, which is mm. that you will cause to serve every first firstborn of the womb for Yahweh, every firstborn and offspring of a silent animal that is for you, the males are to Yahweh. There's some Moshe interjection there. Yeah. Every firstborn donkey you will ransom with a small pack animal. If not, you will ransom it. You will break its neck. All the chosen of humanity in your sons you will ransom. So that being the center block. Centerpiece. Um, it would seem of this larger chiastic structure. Now, there's a few things in there I wanted to look at. First mm-hmm. thing is right at the beginning in verse 12, you will cause to serve is your translation. Yep. But if I jump over to some of the other translation, KJV says you will you will set apart. Oh boy. NIV I think does a better job. It says you will give over. 
It's a little closer. It's not quite the same still. ESV, hmm. again, goes with set apart. And so if we look at that, to me, that's confusing because like we talked about way up at verse 2, right, which is talking about set apart, and this is not the same word as Kadesh. Yeah. That's it's weird. It's not holiness. It's not consecrated. Right. It's not but that's how they, that's how they translate that. Weird. Uh, I mean, I get where they're coming from in what flows nicely. Like, a cause to serve is bad English. <laughs> Just right. openly uh, admitting, right, I'm not putting together the most beautiful Shakespeare here. But it is what it says. So it's the word serve, and it's in the case, which is causative, which is called he feel. Um, and so with throwing other words in there is fine to me as long as you're not evoking other meanings. And to set apart is obviously a totally separate theological meaning. Um, to say take, that's a marriage word. And so that throws in a different meaning that's not present there. So theoretically to me, it's okay and, and you know, upright to figure out a better way to phrase it than cause to serve. But the way it uh, works out and ends up being, it's like, well, that's pretty, you know, unhelpful if you're interjecting totally right. different ideas into the text. Um, and people don't know that and are just trying to do their best and then end up with a funky exegesis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and perhaps this is still some more of. Moshe's taking what God said and extrapolating into it a, a broader right. So then we do a third meeting. layer <laughs> in our translation. Right, right. There's what God said, there's how Moshe dealt with it, and then there's what we do with it on top of that. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple of other things in here that I think are interesting. First in verse 13, every firstborn donkey, like you said earlier, got the donkeys back again donkeys sure. seem to be coming up quite a lot they have this weird importance importance because god knows they're the prevalence. cutest right their ears are the softest they're the best boys uh yeah uh, we all love donkeys that's right our yep. son has it is a, a stuffed donkey he does um but rashi also comments on this i thought his comment was interesting i don't know if i 100 percent buy it but you know, who and knows? Skepticism is my job. <coughs> but throw it out there. Uh, and he says, and every first offspring of a donkey, but not the first offspring of other unclean animals. Noting the distinction there. This exception is the enactment of scripture because the firstborn of the Egyptians are compared to donkeys in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 20. Which I did look it up, and they are referred to as being like donkeys, and uh, that tends that happens to be way later. Way later, it's something sexual about them. It's kind of a weird pull-in, tie-in, whatever. Um, but he says, and a further reason for this exception is because they, the donkeys, were of assistance to the Israelites when they left Egypt. I would find that as a much more likely cause <laughs> than well, the other one. Both, George. The other one. Uh, <laughs> for there was not a single Israelite who did not take with him from Egypt several donkeys laden with silver and gold of Egypt. And <clears throat> I think 
I think that's interesting. I had another thought, which I think, I think there might be something there. And, and, uh, I was brought back to the story of the sacrifice of Isaac Uh for a number of reasons. One, OG donkey story. It's an OG donkey story. Uh, it has to do with the people of God. Uh, Avraham's being told by God to go to a different place. He mm-hmm. takes a uh, a roundabout way to get there. Oh, yeah. Just like God is going to have the Israelites take a roundabout way to get mm. where they're going. And they end up at a mountain. And they end up not killing the firstborn. They leave the donkeys at the bottom. Yeah. Two people go up. Yeah. They receive a covenant. Yeah. And then they come back down. That's good stuff, George. Um, Let's call up Rashi. Hey, my guy. Have you thought about this? Yeah. No, I really like that. Um, And that's, you know, thinking about primogeniture this way, um, because in at least European primogeniture, it's about um, the firstborn of the dad, right? But in God's primogeniture, it's the firstborn of a woman, right? Mm-hmm. The one who first... Um, Peter, the womb. And so Yitzchak is Ooh. still the firstborn. You know what? I like that for a different reason, which is that in the Abraham story, he keeps struggling with the, it's going to be for me, it's going to be for me, it's going to be for me. And right. he keeps excluding Sarah mm-hmm. as being an equal partner in the story. Right. Right. It's going to be from both of you. And that's the thing that God keeps pushing his way. It's going to be from both of you. It's going to be from both of you. It's going to be from both of you. Yeah. Um, and in a way, we see that similarly here where God's starting out saying, it's going to be both. It's going to be both. Mm-hmm. And Moshe saying, it's going to be for the me. The boys. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and so I think we see some of that here, mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's super fascinating. So much more than I anticipated we would get from being like, yeah, that's weird. Love a good donkey. Yeah. Moving on. So thanks for that. I'm sure there's a lot more in this chapter that we could look and jump nope, back and forth. that's the end. That's it. <laughs> we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Um, no. I think, uh, though, circling back to talking about switching from Kadesh to Pada, the ransom redemption word, yeah. that the reason for that is specifically the line, um, for Yahweh killed all the chosen in the land of Mitzrayim. Mm. I think that's the reason that we switched to that word, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting because the lamb was kind of the ransom, right? That they yeah. put the blood on the doorpost. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure why a second um, redemption has to happen. And in the Jewish community, there's also a fast that just firstborn sons do um, before Pesach every year. Mm. Um, so like a triple, triple ransom, um, in, in that community. So interesting, but now on to part two. Yeah. Uh, before we get to part two, I did want to comment on the, you will break its neck portion from the donkey. Sad. Um, yeah, well, maybe I think Moshe, well, Rashi thinks that Moshe is doing something here. Uh, and Rashi says that, one, uh, he talks about how you're supposed to do that. Um, but then he says the reason that this is here is so that the owner 
who is causing a loss to the priests by not providing right. the firstborn right. doesn't get to keep it. Right. And that, so that makes sense. And so it's it's a in a way a motivator right. of you're going to do this. Right. You don't get to keep it if you don't. So right. you might as well just do it. Right. Right. Yeah. What a way, what a tithe system that right. would be. And so <laughs> to, I think the... To fly today. We're going to set your money on fire. Right, <laughs> right. But I think what you can take from that is that the breaking of the of the neck was not the practice that would have regularly happened. Right. Right. As, yeah. Yes. There are other kinds of offerings, um, specifically of the birds. It says that you're supposed to snap their neck when you're doing like peace offerings. And I've read Talmudic sections that are like... Talk about the priests having buff hands because apparently it's not super easy to hmm. um, snack in it. A snack. Oh no, snap an animal's neck and one go. Um, okay, now on to part two. Pardon my my hop over there. Okay, yeah. so okay. it was when Pero had sent out the people Elohim. So we've got a switch over here. So either we're talking about spiritual beings but it's my ha elohim which is my usual ding 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 alert that we are um but we have a sudden switch from yahweh to elohim so put it in your corner doc hypo people um unless of course we take the jewish approach which which says that um the different names of god evoke different um characteristics of god right it's another thing to do there but anyway elohim did not lead them by the path of the palestine which means refugees Rather, let them be guided when they see war and uh, return to Mitzrayim. And so he led the people around by the path of the desert of the Sea of Reeds. They ascended a raid from the land of Mitzrayim. Okay. Um, I love that God here meets his people where they're at and he knows their emotional well-being and he doesn't tell them just to get over themselves and be like, you know, gird your loins, get over it. We're going to march efficiently. He says, hmm. Let's uh, let's be gentle. Uh, and he brings them by a different path, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a cooler one with the upcoming crossing of uh, the Sea of Reeds, which is exciting. Um, and then we have this little side portion about taking the bones of Yosef with him, yeah. which I've talked about this on the Bema podcast. But there's this really great midrash about... Um, how did Moshe know where to find the bones of Yosef? And so there's this female character who... Yes, Sarah, the yes. daughter of Asher. Yes, who's listed in the genealogies as like coming into the land and when she's leaving the land. And so the story is that she's, you know, over 600 years old um, and remembers stuff. And so she takes Moshe by the hand uh, when they're, they're getting ready to leave the leave the land and takes them over to find bones because Moshe can't find them. And, uh, they say one of the names of God, which by the way is like the hockey in, um, Jewish mysticism of being able to do cool stuff and magic is like saying different names of God in different orders with different numbers. Anyway, it's all thing. So she says one of those and this like iron box floats up yeah. out of the water. Um, uh, very cinematic and floats along with them for the rest of the rest of the trip. So, yeah, I think I'm curious about, right. Uh, about that. Uh, uh, I found this Midrash teaching, uh, uh, in the writings of, uh, Rabbi Yishmael, 
Okay. Who referenced that. And he, he says that the Egyptians made a metal casket for him, placed him in it, chucked it in the river. Right. Uh, I'm curious, because that does not seem like a very ceremonious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Were they doing that to, like, trap him down there? Right. Was it some sort of, you know, like, curse ritual? Yeah. What's happening there? I don't know. But, yeah, so it does say that she leads him there. Um, This one specifically says that she also has him throw a stone into the river, and the casket rises up out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he links it to another text, which you've talked about, which is the Second Kings passage with the uh the metal axe oh, head. I love that story. And having that being risen out of the water when he throws a stick, stick in. Stick in. Yep. Elia uh Elisha, I believe. Yep. Um and I mean his his kind of final thing on there I don't find that you know, he didn't do a whole lot with it. He just said if iron floated with Elisha uh how much more so for Moses would Okay. The casket rise out of the My water. only problem, Rav Yishmael, uh, I believe you meant how much more for Sarah. <laughs> Thank you very much. But Asher, uh-huh. 600 years of dignity and power. You know, don't steal her glory. Okay. Um, very fun. I want to read that novel. Yeah. Uh, somebody write it. But I would be curious about going into that Second Kings passage and seeing if there are more parallels there, um, especially around the idea of borrowed. Mm, yes. Because that's one of the key pieces of that Second right. Kings passage. Right. They say, passage. oh, no, the axe was borrowed. Yep. Right. So is it like a Yosef was borrowed by the Egyptians for a time? Yep. You know, in my childhood, when my pastor preached that section, he said that the point of the section was don't borrow things from people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have Uh, all your own stuff everybody that's the point and so accordingly we borrowed that teaching to present here we we sure did um okay so they then pull up their tent pegs they journey from their huts sukkot um they camped in etam with them in the boundary line of the desert which is a nice little you know kind of emmanuel thing there and then God walks before their faces by day. I love that because um, it's usually, you know, God doesn't often ask us to do stuff that he himself is not willing to do, mm-hmm. right? And so he's telling us, walk, 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 walk. If Brent was here, he would put Shakira in here, but he's not. Um, I don't know that song. He did this to me recently. Apparently that's a Shakira song. So here we have God actually walking. Um in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire there's a huge um rabbinic conversation i don't know if you found it as you were pouring through everything but about whether that's two separate pillars or whether one turns into the other yeah i figured there has to be something like deeper and beautiful about that but i cannot for the life of me figure yeah there was stuff about like do they do a handoff in between (laughs) right you know and it's like okay (laughs) What are we trying to achieve here? Campfire conversations that like 3 a.m., you know, it's been going for too long. Somebody's still writing it all down. Right, right. Kind of a let it go moment to me, but I'm sure we're missing something incredible and uh, that's okay. So he didn't remove it 
uh, by day or by night from before the face of the people. That's important because later we're going to see the pillars um, help stave off the armies of Mitzrayim with the help of a giant angel, which is never included in my children's Bible uh, memories. But who knows? Maybe it's there. All right. Well, we have our exciting um, crossing of the Sea of Reeds coming up to theaters near you. (laughs) (laughs) If you you have any questions uh, or thoughts or late doodles of battle sheep, send them in to textinus at gmail.com. This has been the Text and Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 14. Yep. Bye.